Hello and welcome to the Guns on Pegs podcast. My name is George Brown. I'm the editor at Guns on Pegs and head of inspiration at Scribehound. Once again, I'm joined at the microphone by Chris Horn, founder of Guns on Pegs. Chris, this might be our last recording before two momentous events take place. Indeed. We're going to have that sort of back to the future moment now, aren't we? Where this goes out after they've taken place, but this is the last recording before they take place. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so maybe just to, so we can stop being quite so cryptic, let's just um, <laughs> let people know what those two events are. Which one is most important? Well, two events were supposed to happen on the 1st of September, but only one of them could. Uh, and one of those is a baby is due, and the other one is Scribehound being launched. Uh, and and so we moved the Scribehound launch rather than negotiating and moving the baby. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so Scribehound is launching a little bit after in September, and baby's due. So, yeah, very exciting. Yeah, so I think if I've got my calculations right, this episode will go out the day before the official Scribehound launch, which is the 13th of September. So this will go out literally the day before. Um, and then um, the next day, Scribehound will go live. Uh, but I might have got that wrong. I'm not very good at calendars. So if you're listening to this on on the Tuesday, uh, then uh, yeah, Scribehound goes live tomorrow. I'm very excited for that. So is our guest today, hopefully. So um, yeah, we'll, we'll, um, we'll look forward to that. Well, so yes, who is our guest today then, Chris? So our guest today is probably best known for getting a 2-1 in game and wildlife management at Sparshark College. <laughs> Since these dizzy heights, <laughs> he's bumbled along with a YouTube channel called TGS Outdoors that has over 130,000 subscribers and has racked up over 44 million views. He's known for being an extremely passionate gun nut, I think is a nice way of putting it. Uh, he travels all over the world doing fun things and then recording them and putting them out on YouTube. As I said, he's also a scribe hounder. Uh, so look out for his content in there. So would you please put your washing up brush down and give a big hand, a very warm welcome to Johnny Carter. That was an intro and a half. I got a two-one at Sparshot. That feels like a decade ago. It was more than a decade ago to be fair. <laughs> That'll be why. Did I get your uh, ex- your degree mark right, or was that a complete guess? <laughs> I mean, that was correct. I'm very proud of you. I figured that you have done some digging, mate. Where the hell did that come from? No, I I just guessed that. that <laughs> Chris was more time into researching the introductions for this podcast than almost anything else he does. <laughs> I mean, I clearly don't look that academic. But, you know, thanks. <laughs> I mean, yeah, am I, am I insulting you by just assuming you didn't get a first? Uh, no, I didn't get a first. <laughs> I'm too arty, man. I'm too arty. Game of Wildlife Management at Sparshall. Is it Are these fond days of yours looking back? Uh, yes. No, not really. Life's got a lot better since college. I, I, <laughs> like all of us, when we were 17, 18, we thought this is the best it's going to get. And then you go through that really miserable period in your mid-20s where you're broke and you realize that you've got 50 years left to work and you're still not really anywhere in life. You've gone from being the peak uh, top shagger, for a a, lack of a better word, to quote a good friend of mine, um, (laughs) to um, just being a miserable person who pays extortionate rent on a house that you're sat in by yourself. But life then gets a bit better, right? Yeah, well, you're flying now, aren't you? So as I said, 44, 44 million views. That's bumbling along nicely, isn't it? Yeah, that's that's something. A hundred. You say one hundred and forty-four million? 
I said 44. Did I get it wrong? 44 million? I have no idea. I don't got 18 million in the last 12 months. You might have got that wrong. I'm going to go and check. A few moments later. Stats. Joined 13th of October 2015, TGS Outdoors. 44 million, 618,047. Hey, I'll believe it. That's 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 good. I think, yeah, we've got 14, 15 million this year. I was just that just means you're accelerating, doesn't it? As George said, that's ridiculous acceleration. I've noticed that as well, though. The, the stuff you're putting out is getting bigger and bigger, like more and more uptake each time in, in recent times. It's definitely been so. I went full time at this just under two years ago, just in that ballpark anyway. And since then, obviously, the pressure's on to make it bigger and better. And it took us a while to find our feet, bluntly, because nobody else does what we do in the UK. There's not really a model to follow. And there's not really a financial model uh, to follow either. So it was a case of money helps make big films, right? Like, mm. you know, <laughs> Rocky Three has a $100 billion budget or whatever, and it's better than Rocky One. It's not actually, but you know the score. <laughs> <laughs> films get bigger and better the more money you have, and it's been a long road getting the budget to make the films we want. And unsurprisingly, better production brings more views. Not always, but mostly. And that's cool. It's certainly been a very exciting learning curve. Mm. The learning curve is a really interesting one because obviously there's you've got to learn how what YouTube likes, haven't you? You've got to learn what the audience likes, and, and so much of it is down to the thumbnail and the video title that actually you you know you can have the best production in the world, but if you don't get those two bits right, then nobody gets to find out that it's great. That YouTube algorithm is a constant mystery, and it changes every couple of years almost completely, and you have to. Basically, look at what the big players are doing and then sell your soul in that direction. I don't think that every video should have out-of-place capital letters and exclamation marks and question marks, but it works. And as such, that's what we have to do. <laughs> the shocked face thumbnail. I don't think anybody takes great pleasure in taking a shocked face of themselves and photoshopping it onto a thumbnail. But it's clearly what people like to click. And I don't know why, because when I see it, I'm like, I need to click that. I need to see why he's so shocked, even though I know it's fake. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Uh, in 10 years' time, we will but look back and laugh at all this sort of stuff, won't we? It's going to be so different. Yeah, by then we'll have like honest thumbnails with honest descriptions. <laughs> the world is going to get really leveled out. People are going to stop being sensationalist. Social media is going to calm down and become a place where reality happens. <laughs> I look forward to a YouTube that's full of video titles like Nothing Much Happens, just people looking bored in the thumbnail. Quiet day on the pigeons. <laughs> I missed loads of pheasants. That'd be a good name for this podcast. So George's favorite section of the pod, uh, Johnny... I'm hoping you're about to wow us with with what you've bought for what's what's that you're drinking. You know, I actually thought about this long and hard. I, I genuinely did. I have a a very nice rack full of wine. I have a nice collection of whiskey. And then you know, you said it had to be shooting related and in some way represent like something special. And so I brought a four pack of pint cans of Stella. <laughs> Strong. But to make it extra special, I'm not drinking it out of the can. I'm drinking it out of a polyester pint mug that's also a coffee cup that you can't see if you're listening. But these guys can. Look, it's, it's branded by a gun company. It's very classy. It's oh, white. Very nice. 
it is a special drink to me. And I know that you guys have like a, a thing about supermarket lager. And I think that you may class this as close to that. <laughs> yeah. Stella is like a benchmark in life. Like Stella is like, you know, when people smoke and you roll a cigarette, I don't smoke anymore. And you roll a cigarette and it's just a really special occasion. Such a simple thing. A pint of Stella is that to me. Like it, it it's so brainless and freeing and liberating in like a non-sophisticated way. And honestly, after a shoot day, I said it had to be shooting related. If we went to the pub after a shoot day, I'd buy for Stella every time. I don't think there's anyone who knows me that knows that's not what I wouldn't order at a bar, regardless of if they had some fancy stuff. Because I'm not, I like wine. I like red wine to be sophisticated. I like white wine to be cheap. And I like beer to be drinkable and not confusing. I'm not looking to like consume brain. Well, I'm probably looking to consume a few brain cells, but in a different way. I'm not looking to consume brain power when I crack open a beer. I don't know about you guys. <laughs> Don't sniff your beer and go, mmm, notes of honey. Do you remember when Stella was actually the sort of classy pint when it first hit the, hit the stage? No. It was, yeah. yeah. Well, it used to be 5.2%. It used to be 5.2%, and that is... What is it now? 4.6? No. 4.8? You're 4.6%. And the, right. so the joke is, I, uh, me and my brother, my brother went off to Afghanistan and I went off to live in Africa and we both came back, well, he came back and I came back later than he did. And, uh, we went to the pub and uh, the first thing he said to me is like, you can't order Stella anymore, mate. And I'm like, why? He goes, it's 5%. And then about 10 years ago, this stuff became five, 4.8. And I'm like, you know, and now it's 4.6. It's unacceptable. It's supposed to be like drinking beer. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, was it Stella that had the strap line reassuringly expensive? Was that yeah. them? Yeah. yeah, it was seen as a as a classy pint. It it still is. It's still a delicious pint. Like it's brewed in Belgium in a big factory in a beautiful town full of bullet holes. It's, is it? You've never been to Leuven? Oh, I mean, that's an experience. No, on, yeah, I know, sure, but they say this. Is it definitely still brewed there? I mean, it, it's definitely brewed there. Uh, this one is brewed in the UK because yeah, there you go. <laughs> and, and when you when you when you buy it in Leuven, it tastes better because it's still five point two percent. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I bet the I bet the UK is the biggest market for Stella. That's I'll Google that later. Uh, I mean, that's a good question. Probably not. Now it's not five point two percent. That's why we no. drink Peroni and Moretti because it's still strong. Exactly. Peroni's brand will go downhill because of it. George, what are you drinking? Well, I you have already alluded before we started speaking to the fact that it's a warm day and it could be the last warm day this year. So I thought I'd celebrate that fact and I've left the whiskey on the drinks table. Tell me you've got sangria. I haven't got sangria. <laughs> what I've got is a very nice, very cold glass of Provencal Rosé and uh, I've also got the rest of the bottle sitting next to me. Lovely. It has almost no connection to shooting for me, apart from uh, we did have a very warm shoot day last season or the season before, very warm October shoot day, and rosé at lunchtime went down very well indeed uh, on that day. Uh, and it's not something you'd typically associate with shooting, but we do drink a lot of rosé when we go fishing in the summer, gallons mm. of stuff. So it's got a field sports connection. It's it's still perfectly acceptable by everyone to drink gallons of whatever when you're fishing, isn't it? Just less so when you're shooting. Yeah, it's, it only becomes a problem when you fall in. <laughs> you think rod accidents? What are you going to do? Accidentally catch someone on a size fourteen? Like, <laughs> all the police <laughs> hung someone's face. Yeah, that's about it, isn't it? Some faces yeah. could do with that. 
<laughs> Talking of warm shoot days, though, I, I think that that whole October rosé style partridge day is, I mean, it, it feels to me, obviously, the old global warming stuff, but we've had a lot of those warm October days. So I think you'll see some more of them this year. Well, yeah, I think you're right. I think you're right. I remember going on a September partridge day. I don't think I'd ever done a September partridge day before. For whatever reason, we don't typically start shooting here at home until October. And I had no idea what to wear. Because obviously breeks and but then woolen socks on you know the fourteenth of September when it's twenty degrees that that's not that's not good um, and I was absolutely dripping. What is mm. the most relaxed you think you could get away with? Do you reckon you could wear like some kind of safari attire and people would think that's okay? I mean that would be. It's a good question. This yeah, well it is a good question. Could you walk out like Theodore Roosevelt and go? Yes, here's me. And the extra baggy shorts, like the proper ones, and the safari jacket with the yes. belt around the belly. The, the shorts that look like you've got a couple of saddlebags. Yeah. yeah. A traditional bird hunting in hot weather from the Victorian era outfit. Yeah. Is that also with the long beige socks? Oh, I mean, I, I am halfway there. This is cool. Keep talking. That's epic. <laughs> <laughs> pith helmet. That's the final bit. You've got to have the pith helmet. Yeah. Woo! that's the thing that that item as part of your outfit is clocking you back somewhat in the wallet isn't it the the pith helmet if you want a decent one of those it's not cheap but you need to go the whole hog there's got to be budget reproduction piths for not a lot of money amazon Mm. borrow george's oh i've got i've got one and i don't think it's they're not mad money um you know they're under 100 pounds oh really yeah Hmm. everyone should have one you can spend more than that on a flat cap if you go to the wrong place yeah uh, you see, I actually got an expensive flat cap two years ago, and it is every penny was well invested. That's a nice thing. Plus, there aren't many people stupid enough to buy one, and uh, so you don't see them that regularly. There's nothing wrong with a clashing ca- a clashing cap. Can you imagine? I found a winner of a flat cap in Hackett on German Street, and it was in the sale for thirty five quid. And I was like, "Why? What, what, what are you doing with these? Like, surely?" And and uh, it's really nice, and it's lasted me for many years. So you can buy a pith helmet for twelve ninety nine on Amazon, <laughs> <laughs> and if you go on Village Hats, it's twenty nine ninety five, and that's more of the sort of army style pith. If you're looking to be more of a jungle bashing explorer, the twelve ninety nine one would do. There you go. Fine, right? Someone September partridge outfit. Uh, can you imagine if you were there shooting chuckers in the Sudan, and then you have like a fez? Now th- that would also work, and a fez is probably a little bit more hot weather friendly, gun swinging friendly. Yeah, you, you'd struggle to get your ear defenders over the top of your pith helmet, I think. And like, your fez. Pong could make an attachment. <laughs> <laughs> you'd have to wrap them around the back, wouldn't you? Like a sort of radio DJ. This is good. September partridge outfit. Uh, send them in. Pod at gunsonpegs.com. We want photos. Yes, definitely. They'll go on Insta. So I'm speaking to a lot of people currently, and they're struggling to sell September days. They've struggled for a few years, but more so this year. Mm. I think it's because people don't wear safari outfits. I think we've just <laughs> solved a crisis here. I thought you were going to go down a horribly serious conversation there. But yes, absolutely. No. It's all to do with safari outfits. Serious conversations and me don't really exist. <laughs> right, Chris, what are you drinking? For many years, my go-to beer on a Thursday evening after work with the team was a Beavertown neck oil. Ah. Uh, Yes. And I have found a sister beer called Supermoon, which is hazy IPA, and it's 6%. So this absolutely smashes the original Stella into a cocktail. No doubt that will have an effect by the end of this pod. Um, It's quite nice. 
It's all right. The hazy is the description of what of the effect it has. Yeah, I think that is exactly. But it is also pretty hazy. But um, I've also just turned it on the other side and said it says BB sixteenth of May twenty three. So it was best before the past. So hey ho, you are up for an amazing digestive <laughs> experience tonight, brother. Hey. <laughs> It also suggests that oh, well. you bought that quite a long time ago. No, it doesn't. It suggests everything you need to know about my local village. <laughs> <laughs> Mate, so I went up the local co-op, and I, my office is in a beautiful little village on the edge of Southampton. It's, this is as nice as Southampton gets. And the beer fridge was off. So I'm drinking lukewarm, Stella. That's the honest truth here. If you oh, like guys want to feel better about life. At least it's cold, yeah. <laughs> so how is your hazy gut rot? It, um... It's quite nice. It's definitely better than your Stella. Um, and Helpful. so, <laughs> it's, yeah, it's quite nice. It's got a very, very, very fancy cam with it as well. So for that it, reason that alone. That is beautiful. There is something about like like that modern alcohol, expensive beer in a can movement. The designs are nice. Like you look at a Stella can and it's 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 like a Beretta Silver Pigeon. What you have is the Holland Royal of beer cans. Of of cans. You're absolutely right. Have you seen how many craft are these these fancy craft breweries are closing though? It's a travesty. It's all I, yeah, Brexit Brexit blamed apparently. But See, um, I I think that's an interesting thing. I think it pissed me off quite how many opened up over the last ten years. That's not a sust- the market can't sustain that many fancy cans of beer. Just like gin, I agree. I think there's a lot in that too. <laughs> like what it does is like any boom. What it does is then the quality remains, the cheap remain, and all those in the middle can bugger off, and we can be left with the choice of either a dirt cheap craft beer or a very good one. Yeah, I also feel like the storyline of a lot of those craft breweries and probably a lot of the craft gin companies as well is chap gets bored with city job, thinks, what do I like? I like beer. I'll do a beer. That's a good idea. Let's do that. I'll do a beer. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's how they all happened. It's so true. About 2020. Yeah. I thought you can remove the city thing, right? So there's a brewery about 50 yards. I'm pointing on for those who aren't watching because this is not a this is an audio platform. This is clever, wasn't it? Uh, over there's a 50 yards is a brewery, and there's one up the street as well. And he used to be a forklift driver, I believe. And you know what he thought? I don't like driving forklifts. I like beer. <laughs> to be fair, he's got a tapped room. He's got a really good thing going on. He's very lucky. He's got an, one of the best coffee shops I've ever been to opposite, and it's a lovely little food court around the back. But it, hey, you don't have to be from the city to like beer and be bored of your job. There's the moral of the story. <laughs> here's, like, here's a mid-roll plug for brewing equipment. <laughs> Are you bored of your job? We'll, we'll dig one out. <laughs> Great. Right. Well, I, I think we better press on. Um, so what we like to do now, Johnny, now that we've all got something to keep the throat moist, uh, is we turn to our listeners for their correspondence, turn to the post bag, and uh, the first segment is called whose bird is it anyway and it's where we ask our listeners to send us their shooting quandaries and queries and dilemmas and we do our best to help them out this episode submission comes from somebody who emailed pod at guns on pegs who i have decided to call clifford who has written i'm a regular listener to the podcast and the subject of how to placate or dare i say sneak off from one's other half to go shooting has been an occasional theme within the whose bird is it anyway segment I thought it may be of interest to you and others to know how it feels to be on the receiving end of such treatment, being as I am married to a very keen (laughs) shot myself. 
I knew from the off that my wife was a keen game shot, meeting as we did on a shoot we had both found on Guns on Pegs. It didn't take long for us to have joined a local syndicate and to take pegs or share a peg on some lovely shoots across the country. My wife, a farmer's daughter that she is, has always been an outstanding shot, while I remain passably average. I became suspicious last season when she seemed to have ever more social engagements that mysteriously did not require my my attendance, ranging from baby showers, visiting a university friend, to helping her cousin to move house. It would have been all too easy to chalk this up to her having an affair and leave it at that. The mystery was solved, however, when a friend mentioned to me that he'd seen her shooting on a not-too-distant shoot at which he was a picker-up. I took all this in a humorous fashion and decided that she is fully entitled to sneak off and have her own personal shooting time. In fact, I was more impressed at how she had gotten away with it for so long, as we share a gun cabinet and I could very easily have spotted her prized guns gone for the day, or been concerned as to why she'd taken a 20 ball to a baby shower. (laughs) She still doesn't know that I'm about that that I know about her rovings. Do I tell her or store this up as credit for when needed for my own alone days? Firstly, (laughs) if she likes shooting, she, she may well be a listener of this podcast and you're scuppered mate. (laughs) (laughs) This is quite some effort. I mean, there's concealing the price of shooting and all that jazz that we hear about a lot. But concealing your whereabouts and lying on numerous days throughout the year is, I mean, seriously strong. I, Especially I when your other half shoots. Mate, I've got to say it because everyone listening is thinking it. Clifford, mate, you need to either have therapy or <laughs> maybe, come on. Like, if you're genuinely lying, if she's lying to you in this degree, that's bad. That's not a healthy <laughs> relationship. If she's saying, like, I'm going to the shops and going out shooting, I mean, I mean, if, who does that? <laughs> I mean, a therapist. You can have the name of my therapist. Therapy. You need to have therapy for this. This is this is not good shit. <laughs> so neither of you two chaps have um, have have been economical with the truth about a shooting trip. Uh, it's work. Yeah, yeah. We're in a tricky position, aren't we? Because we just go, we just play the work card and you get away with anything. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I don't even want to go, love. <laughs> exactly yeah oh it, i can't stand this person and i get this invite every year and i want to say no but anyway. and yet i still go <laughs> yeah i um clifford 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 i mean firstly i was i was taking notes during that because in my mind isn't particularly strong because i got a 2-1 uh, <laughs> the fact that you met your wife on a guns on pegs day is a, such a lovely thing by the way that was the first thing i was so like yeah can we go back to this guns on pegs caused a marriage Yes. <laughs> See, that's, this is. I think there's a few, aren't there? There, there, are, there are, but I've only ever known of, I think, three. And, only. That's yeah, I mean, three marriages. That's pretty cool. It's quite cool. Yeah, but this could be the fourth. Nessie is one of the three, of course. But um, this could be a fourth. So Clifford and uh, and his now current wife, um, <laughs> his first wife. <laughs> his first Everyone's wife. holding their biting their tongues. <laughs> Clifford. <laughs> The wife he is with at the moment, um, and yeah, I mean, <laughs> it's really exciting. I, I, Guns I'd on like Peg's first divorce. <laughs> I reckon we've probably we've probably accounted for a lot of divorces. Yeah, let's, yes. let's not rack those up. That would be depressing for all the children. Yeah, <laughs> you know, we did that um, that uh, April Fools a few years ago. That was we're starting a dating service. I mean, I was fielding phone calls for days afterwards from people who were like, so this dating service, how do I sign up? (laughs) 
guns on beds. Yeah. And then George changed the strap, changed the strap line from plan the best days of your life to plan the best lays of your life. <laughs> <laughs> I think he's actually got business legs. <laughs> <laughs> that's what everyone said we were like no it doesn't yeah. <laughs> if you if you look at the business model behind every dating platform ever they're built on nothing none of them ever made a penny it's all this supposed data dream yeah i mean it feels i've never it? really looked into <laughs> anyway. it but i'm gonna believe you on that one <laughs> what i'm saying is you could have like more than four marriages under your belt at this point so first of all from your notes he got married on a day he found through guns on pegs isn't which that is cool. wonderful that's really nice that's so sweet and then she's been a devious little harpy and is going <laughs> shooting without him then that's which is fine just odd. why would you why would you not just be in some way like mask the truth a little bit i've been invited but they haven't invited you like when you sneak out you can't be like sneaking out and then lying about where you are that's a bit Odd. So what does he do? Does he depends what kind of man he store is, it up? Is my advice. You really? Yeah. Do you not like a bit of conflict, George? Come on, George. I can imagine you going and beating your chest, be like, "Love, come on." I've found <laughs> out. Chris will tell you, I do like a bit of conflict, but I also like <laughs> to go into conflict armed. <laughs> I don't think he's uh, disarmed. He's not going in Quaker style. Uh, I've got an idea. So you know how cartridge companies do like branded boxes of cartridges right you, you ring up game Boy or someone and you say can i have this design on a cartridge box and you get like the baby shower ammo and then you slip loads of these cartridge boxes into into her slab of cartridges and she rocks up on the day and it's like oh shit you know what i do take the take the firing pins out of her gun and just yes. then wait for her to go i was just taking my gun out for a casual uh, snap cap <laughs> session the other day, yeah, and and then and you go, well, how did you know? It's already dense in the back of snap cap. Well, it just doesn't look right. I'm like, I don't believe you, love. You're absolutely right because uh, taking the guns to the gunsmith is is I don't know. I'm going to put that in the category of the sort of in our house we have pink 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 jobs and blue jobs of and blue jobs are putting the bins out right. So taking the taking the guns guns to the gunsmith is a <laughs> <laughs> taking the guns to the guns oh, oh fine who cares uh, uh, I reckon if that's what he does you're absolutely right do something like that and then she will have to say oh, can you help me with this or can you do this or sort them out or whatever it is I, find out what it is that he's relied upon for and then leverage Clifford it. I will offer my services to you if you would like me I will come out of retirement I'll pull the firing pins out you can, I'll even drive up to your house providing you below the M4 and and you know west of the east of the m5 in a reasonably acceptable area i'll take the foreign pins out Vogan. i want to see how that plays out like this is better than eastenders <laughs> and if you are um uh, in uh not in those locations that johnny said you could just hide the forend oh no no but you wanted to get there thing is you wanted to get there you wanted to get there and think yeah. she's having a great day out and then yeah, but if if she's effing and blindly around the house at eight a.m. in the morning, going, "Where's the fore end of my gun?" Then <laughs> that's also quite funny. Yeah, but I think that I would take way more joy in knowing that she was at a baby shower and not enjoying herself than I would her having a paddy <laughs> first thing in the morning. Because as a, I, I, to be fair, my other half may well listen to this, so I'm not going to say what I was about to say. There are some women, not mine, who might be unhappy in the morning sometime, and nobody wants their day to start like that. <laughs> you know you can get guns with shot counters built into the stock? Uh, the Beretta pod system, wasn't it? 
Yeah, Beretta and per- Purdy got one as well. Oh, really? In something. That's cool. Yeah. In I think it's in the trigger plate. In the sport. Uh, anyway, yeah, that's what he also needs. In One of those inserted into the stock, and then he can just... Uh, Grab that out one well, day. Well, that's a bit like looking through your other half's phone, isn't it? You don't want to be relying on technology. <laughs> you want her to just have a shitty day where the gun doesn't go bang. <laughs> Until she's honest and yeah. goes, because I, I know Clifford. Clifford, do you mind your wife going out shooting without you? Is that or is that not is that the problem here? Or is it the fact she's being devious? If you both shoot, go the other one going out without you, it's quite a sad moment, isn't it? That's like a hobby you could you do share. Like, that's really odd. Awkwardly, me and my other half used to shoot until we had kids, and now we don't shoot together really at all. So um, yeah. I, you're making me feel really bad now. You're making me feel worse than Clifford's wife should feel. That's children. Mm, sad. Uh, <laughs> right, any more advice for Clifford, other than uh, go and visit a counsellor, therapist? That's your first suggestion, isn't it, Johnny? Well, I was going to say, I, I think the only other bit of advice I've got to add is don't take any of the advice that we've given you previously. <laughs> <laughs> I think it might make it worse. Clifford, I mean, it's, don't, just don't get divorced over this, Clifford. It, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Clifford. <laughs> How I mean, I know like the name process is random, but Clifford is. You've been watching a bit of Clifford the Big Red Dog recently, or just they're never. It's not random at all. George thinks about them all. Go, George. What is this one from? Yeah, so um, Clifford is the husband of Lady Chatterley, as in Lady Chatterley's His lover. lover. Uh, well done. Hey. Um, so, so that's the that's the husband of Lady Chatterley. So presumably Lord Chatterley. And- that suddenly, mate, you are a clever guy. You look clever. <laughs> you sound clever. But that is pretty clever because Clifford and the real Clifford and the book Clifford, they both need to see a therapist. <laughs> we really need to know how this one ends up, though, please, Clifford. Unless it's sad, in which case, keep it to yourself. <laughs> I'd like to hear from Mrs. Clifford as well. Yeah, Mrs. Clifford, if you are listening and you know this is you, oh. or if you... Aren't sure it's you, but it could be you. Message in as well. God, Mrs. Clifford. <laughs> Let's invite Mrs. Clifford out on a Guns or Pikes shoot day without him. And then confront her in a Jeremy Kyle way. <laughs> They'd be like, Mrs. Clifford, this is a prank. Your husband's in the bush watching. We've done the test. <laughs> you nasty. Tr- this isn't a baby shower. <laughs> You've absolutely worked out that this guy's clearly big on YouTube, isn't he? He knows it. <laughs> Like views. Like, can you imagine? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Wife caught on shoot day. Before we make it any worse, I think we need to move on. Sorry. <laughs> so um we haven't got a forgotten drive this time around. Uh we're recording a bit closer together um than than normal because of the baby thing. Uh so instead I've got a nut just a nice piece of correspondence that we've had uh in the last few weeks. And it comes from across the pond, from America, from somebody whose real name is Tristan. And Tristan wrote, Dear George and Chris, while I'm a Yankee and the lion's share of the content discussed on your podcast is not terribly applicable to our way of shooting, I've greatly enjoyed the banter and learning about the British style of shooting, as well as the similarities and differences between our misunderstood conservation efforts. Now to the point. On a long car ride back from a fishing expedition this morning, I was listening to your new episode from the Game Fair, and in the interview, the discussion turned to alternative forms of sport. While ferreting mice with bumblebees and walked-up moths do sound like a diverting way of filling the off-season, it struck me that they too could be a great entry point for those not already involved in country sports. My fiancé grew up in the city, scared of insects and rodents, 
and with the closest thing to the country being a round of golf. While she's supportive of my time spent with our dog in the field, she has grown to enjoy and has grown to enjoy grouse and woodcock on the plate. I've always thought it might be nice once or twice a season for her to join in. Listening to your podcast gave me the brilliant idea of killing two birds with one stone. I've decided to empower her to no longer shrink away from invading insects, but to turn our apartment into a safari expedition with the bug assault in the hopes of freeing us both from her fear while <laughs> introducing her to the joys of game on the wing. Game on I've the wing. floated the idea to her and she seems surprisingly enthusiastic. So I've in- ordered the equipment and will keep you posted on my success with the hopes that this technique can be shared by others. <laughs> Good lad. Johnny, have you had a go with one of these bug assault things? So I was, uh, yes, and they are epic fun. So I was at the Barbary Pro 1 Challenge, which is my favourite clay competition of the year. It's fun. For those of us who aren't particularly, not competitive, but talented, uh, most clay competitions aren't enjoyable experiences. You pay a load of money and don't really enjoy the thing. The, the Pro 1 is totally different. It's a big community feel. I love the guys up at Barbary anyway, but it's just a real good thing. And Craig, their gun room manager, has just started selling bug assaults. And he sold a heap of them, apparently, because guess what everyone wants to do? Shoot at home. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and shooting stuff that you just do not care about is quite fun. Yeah, well, it's it? like, why does everyone love shooting rats? Because there's no moral, there's no morality to it. Just, <laughs> just go for it. Who cares? But there, he then, I believe on the Saturday, when I was there on the Friday, he was there shooting with his bug assault, hunting around the Barbary Clubhouse. And then on the Saturday... I believe Richard Folds bought some donuts, and Richard Folds put some donuts on a table, and Craig sat there decoying wasps with his bug assault. <laughs> and at that point, I knew I had to have one, because suddenly I could spend hours totally consumed trying to hunt. It is a proper hunt. Right, 50 quid a bug assault, or a, th- a 3.0 you can get. Uh, is that an imitation? 27 quid on eBay. I mean, do you think that there's room here for a Guns on Peg slash Scribehound branded bug assault collab? Oh, come on. Oh, absolutely. Oh, yeah. I, yeah, I want just... a grade five walnut hydro dipped bug assault. <laughs> mm-hmm. With a Holland and Holland the... engraving sticker on it. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I give you sticker. 60 quid for Why not? <laughs> I think you're on. I think you're on something. Well, I was wondering, do you think it'd be a good way of coaching kids before they're old enough for a, a for, for a proper shotgun to numb them to you know, the when kill? They're sort of five, you go, yeah, <laughs> no, to teach them about lead and swing, keeping the barrels moving. <laughs> I think it could be good. I mean, I, think- I, I reckon shooting a wasp has got to be a lot harder than any form of game. Depends how many. How patient you are, how what your pattern of donuts looks like. Thing is, you need to work with the wind so the wasp comes around the wind, and, and you need to create a pattern of donuts so the wasp lands on the right donuts. So you can get the good shot. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not talking about it in the sort of pigeon decoying sense where you shoot them when they're nearly on the floor. Like I'm talking a full, like uh, a crossing wasp. You think <laughs> that shooting a crossing wasp with some salt? I mean, you want to get under some better pheasants, brother. Like that's insane. You can't be there thinking that shooting a wasp is easier than a pheasant, unless you're shooting four ten worthy pheasants over hedgerows in Sussex or something. Come on. So I've I've got a huge wasp nest right above me at the moment, and they're they're coming out of the the eaves here. So this is I'm going to buy one of these tonight, and I will sit out there. Oh, when it arrives. you can have a red letter day on wasps. <laughs> <laughs> I'll come and film that. That's got to be worth a go. <laughs> <laughs> you've got to do the you've got to do the hero shot at the end with them all piled up 
Um, <laughs> one of those horrible Instagram posts of clouds of wassail lined out with a dog sitting in front of it looking all happy. You don't stuff. like those. All right, here's great. I'm ready for my first argument of a podcast. Um, you don't like those pictures. What's wrong with them pictures? No, they're all right. It's just some people get them wrong. Yeah, I'd say that was right. Where's your borderline with tasteful and not tasteful? What do you what 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 angers uh, the comment the comment description underneath uh, the way they go about killed it. a shitload today. In, Bloody great fun in the public domain. Yeah, just not understanding. You, you, you people are going to take the wrong impression of some of those posts, or they're not going to understand. You know all the laws around it, all the rest of it. So they will jump to conclusions. So just a little bit of understanding, rather than as you say, I don't know. Do you, do you, it's an interesting thing, right? Because I don't know whether every post needs to come with some kind of overly thought out description. Uh, no, I'm not saying that. I'm saying exactly as you just said, you know, when they just go full out, like, ugh. yeah, just a bit, a bit uneloquent. Kit, kit on the deck is another yeah, one, isn't uh, it? Yeah, that, 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 that. On the deck. That's, that saying um, needs to be banned. People who use that. But people say it for deer and it's totally accepted in the deer world. Uh, that's true. I don't know. Yeah. I, I, I feel, I don't know. Uh, see, I... It's a difference between a cull. It's, it's a cull versus a... Yeah, you're culling pigeons. Yeah, that, so pig, pigeons maybe is okay. And yeah, it, it, see, the lines of morality are really tough. And now we're going to get into the deep, into the weeds. Um, but <laughs> it's, it's tough, right? Because if you took it into a different world, for example, clubbing. We all used to like clubbing. Maybe not George. George, were you were you into clubbing? Did you go out at? I was. I I used to be a music blogger. No, have you know? Come on, what kind of music did you blog yeah. about? Vintage remix, electro swing, that kind of thing. Vintage remix. I used to get free tickets to Boomtown. <laughs> I used to jump the gates of Boomtown. <laughs> it's that is fascinating. Hey, you are a dark horse, but all right. So we explains we, a we lot, all went it? out. We all partied. We all had fun. Right. I feel like there's a parallel here between what our grandparents would have thought looking at our Instagram posts and Facebook probably back then, MySpace, of what we would have said when doing those kind of things to what we're saying now. In that actually the audience, we're in a tough Mm. position because you can't just be seen to be enjoying what we enjoy. I, I don't know. I don't know really what I'm trying to say other than obviously grandparents, when they see you going out with some young, beautiful woman sat on your lap, clearly pissed because you're sweating pasty skin your eyes are dilated and and they probably go that's not good enough but everyone your own age or at least who's in the the the, the vast majority of people who just don't care about your existence probably just go hey he's having a good time i'll leave him alone yeah maybe yeah i think you're right i'm not putting up posts of when i next see one of those posts i'm gonna tag you in it okay uh, please and then- do and then i will comment send <laughs> them to jesus <laughs> no, you and I can have our debate underneath their post in the threads. <laughs> you know, in the grand scheme of all the things in the world, I know people get really unhappy about people using social media and, and doing it in an uneloquent way, but there is a lot of uneloquent people in the world, and what, they shouldn't just be allowed to enjoy their shit? Like That's, that's a thing. That's a really tough question, because look, both of you are very intelligent, very well-spoken men, and both of you can write very well, and both of you can speak very well. But you know what? There's a lot of people who can't, and that's okay too. Surely you shouldn't punish them and their enjoyment of their sport on social media because they can't post a thousand-word essay on why it's okay to kill pigeons and how lovely a day it was and how the wind made it really sporting. Well, I completely agree with you, Johnny, actually. I think that there is a danger of feeling like we need to justify what we do all the time, and I do think that it's absolutely fine to every now and again just say actually i just love this stuff and 
that's okay without having to feel the need to go oh and by the way conservation that's my excuse i mean i the word conservation needs to get in the bin for the most part when people post anything <laughs> it's such an overused thing that it almost devalues the, the, the word in itself and that in itself that's sad that's sad but we're not gonna all right, i'm gonna shut up and get back in my box but let's move on with more fun <laughs> talk about more fun things george come on well I, I, we, chris is about to put the cat amongst some more pigeons i think this has come up earlier and I suggested to Johnny that he was getting all serious on us. And anyway, this is an unpopular opinion that comes from someone George has called Cassandra, who writes, Game shooting is too expensive. I note from your game shooting census that the average price of a pheasant is now £50. Surely, if it goes much higher, people would decide to spend their hard-earned cash on skiing or golf or something else instead. So... You started on this and we shut you down for, for more chilled chat. <laughs> George, is Cassandra a lady or is it just a lady's name for a man? Uh, Cassandra is a lady's name. Cassandra okay. is a lady. I'm aware that Cassandra is a lady's name. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Although in the modern world, who knows? That's what I get to. That, that's too deep in the weeds. Let's get back out of that one. You guys first. Game shooting is too expensive. It's always been expensive. Yeah, yeah. Th- there's a difference between, I forget how you put this, isn't it? It's about value and price, you know, cheap, expensive, or well, high priced, mm. or whatever. George, just on before we give too much opinion on the stats, you know a lot more about this because you've been doing some analysis. What do the stats yep. say about? people's appetite for price well i can't i can't really speak to appetite for price what i can say is that the price increase over the last 10 years or so is above inflation so you can't just say that it's oh you know it's just a natural uh, progression of things and there's been a notable spike in price in the last two or three years uh for quite well documented reasons which are around you know the availability of pulse last year the price of feed that kind of thing, which has caused the cost of running a shoot to go up. Anecdotally, I mean, what would you say about you know how you know the traffic on guns on pegs, for example, has been this seat this year? I mean, that's that's actually strong. It's that that's not so much of an issue. It was it was impacted by bird flu a lot when you know people literally didn't know where they stood. But price hasn't really affected uh, traffic on guns on pegs. It does affect the like the number of people sending inquiries so you get the same number of people looking but less number of purchasing or converting um <clears throat> i think i read somewhere something you you wrote about the proportion of people happy to pay over you're a absolutely price. right um i write such a lot of things i forget what they are and i think i wrote that earlier this week um so yes uh what's happened is that the the proportion of people who are prepared to pay the average price has dropped versus 10 years ago. So that means that um, effectively less than half the people are prepared to pay the average price, which suggests to me that that, that, that it is that people's uh, estimation of the value of shooting is out of whack with the price of shooting by a bit. Not by very much, but by a bit. And I guess this is this is market economics, right? Supply and demand. And at that £50 price, the demand is lower than it would be if it was, say, £45 or £40. And 50 is the average. So there's a huge number of shoots above that. Uh, and there are some silly, silly prices. Um, so this, this comes back to then 
something you just alluded to, which is about the costs of running a shoot. The real concern, without this getting too serious and deep, the, the big concern is that shooting is not a profitable activity. Our, our opponents just do not understand this. They just think there's profit all over the place and all these rich people making all this money. They just they assume this all the time. And uh, that is simply not the case. There is not profit in running a game shoot by and large. Yes, some make a profit, but so, so, so few. And so for the price to come down, a lot has got to happen. Johnny. Bollocks. You reckon? Are you telling me? I, 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 I'm a touch on the spectrum. And numbers, I like numbers. You know, it really doesn't take much to run numbers, does it? You know what they're selling the bird for. You know what they're selling. You know what they're, they're paying beaters. You know what they're paying pickers up. You know pretty much what they're paying a keeper, more or less, because they advertise that fact. More importantly, you can, certainly those in our sector can just make a quick phone call. You'll soon find out whether that keeper's on a mega package or just an average one or a low one. Are you telling me that some of these shoots are genuinely feigning? And this is the part of the problem, right? Is when I when I went to a bar shop and got my 2-1, <laughs> keepers were paid nothing. Yeah. And commercial shooting was starting to take off. And certainly by that point, what was that, 2006? It was a serious affair at that point. And I remember my work experience went down to North Moulton. That was a serious shoot, still is. And I remember <clears> on the first drive, a guy going to me, you'll see more birds here, boy, than you've ever seen. At your shoot, and I come from a fairly, I say, come from a small shoot. Like I'm in any way posh. My old man was a dairyman on a shoot, an estate that had a shoot, and I was lucky enough to be uh, involved in that in some small way. And you know, I think they released six thousand a year. And it's weird that we don't talk about numbers, but you know, and you get out to North Moulton where they're in the six figure mark. I would have thought that's um, you telling me that if they're selling those back then for good money, now for big money, that they're not making a profit. Come on. So, so as as I said, there are a few shoots more that make than, a profit. More than a few. Come on, admit it. There's a good number no. of shoots that are commercially viable. They are. Okay, so there's only 11% of shoots are even set up to run a profit. Of that, I think... Uh, and then there was, what, what 50% of them that run so that the shooter can shoot, for, the yeah. owner can shoot for free. Yeah, and syndicates and that kind of thing. There's a bit of that too. Yeah, of course. But I mean, so, so another part of... A business that I'm involved in, um, I spend my year looking through shoot budgets, helping structure shoots, and I can sh- I can tell you that um, only this year, only two shoots I've looked at are genuinely making a profit. How? It, honestly, costs are out of control. And uh, when you say costs, what like uh, sporting rights? Because sporting rights are ridiculously expensive. They didn't used to be. They are now. So that's the big change. So um, in back in the day, a lot of shooting would occur on on owned land. Uh, now it's by and large, all the big shoots are leased. You rarely ever see a big shoot on own land, like versus leased. Well, any um, intelligent landowner would look at it and go, "Look, I can get a very clear X pounds per yeah. acre for nothing, because mm. I don't care whether they succeed or not." And hopefully, if they're a good and moral person, they will help them succeed at every single corner because you want your tenants to be long term. But yes, yeah. So, so, so rent. Uh, and then the big three, uh, feed, labor, uh, and, and, and the actual birds in, in the first place. Um, and basically, between those four, there's kind of not a lot else. What do keepers get paid on average now? A lot more than they uh, did. I don't, I don't have a figure. It's obviously it's not fantastic pay. Uh, there's there's aspects. It depends, really. Again, no, the, spectrum, the spectrum is still massive. Yeah. The spectrum is still massive. There are still people working for nothing. 
Sure, sure. I mean, there's a, yeah, there's a lot of really bad paid jobs out there, but the but yeah, and with with some of the bigger shoots, there's some quite nice perks. You know, obviously all the the bills and the house. Well, and I mean, anyone who owns a house will understand that having a free house is. I mean, it's not a free house, and I, a a friend of mine, a good friend of mine, uh, put it quite well. He goes, "I can't take it with me, and as such, I, I wouldn't live here. I wouldn't live here if I had the choice. Although it's a lovely house and all this kind of thing, living in a house in the country and working twenty four hours because you are on call twenty four hours has a price." But it's still a mm. free house, and I, I don't know about where you guys live, but rent in Southampton for a three-bed semi, a crap one, is £1,600. £1,600 a month, that's a lot of money. And now you look at some of, again, I'm in the south, and so that's not a fair sort of thing. If you look at someone in the arse end of Cumbria and the house is worth 300 quid a month, 400 quid a month, that's a different question. But around here, if you've got a four-bed house detached in the countryside, that's you can't look at it like it's worth 30, 40, 50 grand a year. But it is. It's a nice mm, life. No, you can't. It's definitely the quality of life increase. It has huge value. Pounds in your pocket is not the same as reality value. Sorry, I'll shut up. And, and well, I'm just thinking you're going to get a lot of but... hate from keepers on on social when this goes out. I'm very good friend. My, <laughs> I know, I know. My best friend is a gamekeeper. Many of my friends are gamekeepers. but And I don't begrudge them, mate. I know how hard that job is, and I want them to succeed i love people succeeding it's a very un-british thing to want to see people rich and happy and successful and i want to see all of them succeed and i want them all to be on more money and i want them all this but the package as a whole free car free house you're not living the set and it's, it's hard because most of these people left college and went straight into that life that they don't then see that life outside of that although it's it's not like better but it's definitely it's not worse it's just totally different gatekeeping is a lifestyle it's not a bad lifestyle, is it? Well, no, it. I, I, I haven't been a keeper. I couldn't. I couldn't really comment. It, I mean, at times it looks amazing, but then other times you think, "Gosh, thank goodness I'm sat behind my desk." <laughs> um, but, but hard work isn't just for gamekeepers either. Let's put it that way. <laughs> is so. This comes back to the argument I was saying, which is a lot of shoots don't make a profit. The vast, vast, vast majority. Yes, of course, there's some fat in there occasionally for the owners' days or whatever it might be. As there should be. As there should be. Obviously, but it's not. It's honestly not that exciting. If you think, or if if you're thinking, or oh, I go and run a shoot, I could turn a bit of a nice income or whatever. Honestly, think again. Just honest, think again. It's not happening. Um, and especially at the moment. So what with the price increase, it's becoming a lot harder, obviously, to sell the days because less people are inclined to spend that amount of money. And then you've got the whole sort of bag size debate versus, you know, making the whole thing work on economies of scale and all that. So, yeah. I, well, I think the really key point here is about the opportunity cost, right? So that's how you, as a, as a human being, that's how you uh, assess value. So I've got whatever it is for my shooting budget each year. And if I'm going to get comparatively less for my shooting budget this year compared to last, then you start thinking, okay, well, where is the point where that ceases to be a good decision? And you think, well, actually, I'd rather spend that money, as as Cassandra says, on skiing or golf, because I know that I'll get better value for money than I will shooting. And, you know, uh, you know, yeah. Uh, yeah. you can get a pretty decent week skiing holiday for the price of a few days out shooting. So, you know, it's, it's when that when those two lines cross on the graph that you have a problem. And the question is, have we hit that point? No, we haven't. And the reason being, you've got to look back to why shooting has become so popular in the first place. Shooting is a day 
skiing is not a day it's a huge amount of admin accepting a shooting invite is, is something that is just such a lovely thing to receive it, it has the ability to get the busiest of people away from their desk to, to get out for that day you can get together a group of mates with a shooting invite like nothing else in the world can pull together a group of mates so your value point is what's the value of getting together your group of mates and shooting versus so many other things like a box at twickenham i don't know come up with like things on that sort of scale those are the only things that compete with shooting, I feel, and for that day out from a value point of view. So I think what will happen is that, yes, game shooting is expensive, but people will just do slightly less or uh, the days will just come back. I mean, bag size is already coming down this year. The day out will become the thing and the talk about bag will become less prevalent because it's so tricky to um, to or to discuss and, and to pay for, really. Interesting. Very interesting. And I think, you know, it's definitely the case that people will look at, say, the cost of a driven day and think, well, I'll do a walked up day instead or something along those lines. You know, there's plenty of ways to get shooting exactly. that's not 50 pounds a bird. And you still get your mates. Well, I mean, yeah, walked up day will probably still be 50 quid a bird, but you're only shooting a few. So don't, you don't look at it like that. Yeah. Yeah. So I just did Johnny. some quick fag packet maths. If you held 20 days a season to 2200 bird days a season, uh, your costs for the year, if there's no ground rent granted, is about 240 grand to host those days, to do everything, that's cover crops, feed, birds, wages, trucks, all that kind of stuff. And that's that. I mean, this is three-minute math, so I do apologize. And your income at 50 pound birds would be 200K. So granted, you wouldn't make any money at that. But most commercial shoots are doing more than 20. Is that fair to say? Uh, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I, 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 but I mean, I 20, 20 is still semi-commercial, isn't it? Like that. that's... Let's assume it's not nothing. At Twenty, you've got you've got a few, a couple of two, two or three days for the for the owners or whoever that is. If you're not talking about ground rent, you then got let's say you have got a syndicate in there, and then you're probably selling five days. So you're still that's still quite a concern. It, it's that's no, it's always good to challenge these things, isn't it? And and challenging it still calls people, for a million quid of turnover, I reckon. No doubt, and I think you could probably throw a few bits in there, like it's. It's not massively profitable, but it's not not profitable with given that fifty is the average. Yeah. Okay. I've got uh, this is we, we're moving on too much. But, I've got the budget yeah. of a shoot ex- in front of me exactly like you say, and I I'm looking at it now. There is absolutely nothing in there that makes you think, why do we do this? Like even even this one, the owner's days are being ripped out because it just doesn't stack up. So charge more per bird. Like it's his basic commerce, isn't yeah, it? But they can't. But they can't because of this person's comment. Game shooting is too expensive. So this this particular shoot I'm looking at here is in that exact problem. It's basic basic business. You have to learn to. Well, you either pay your staff less, or you have less frills, less new trucks, less new gear. You put in the. There's there are well. All right, let's move. Let's mm. move back. Yes, game shooting is expensive, but it's always been a sport for the super rich. That's what it was originally, and that's what draws a lot of people <laughs> to it. Let's let's be blunt that it's not your average person never thinks about spending eight hundred pounds on a single day. Well, of their now life. that is a very interesting yeah, way of looking at it, and it's possible that shooting has been underpriced for quite a long time. For a while, well, I think a lot of people certainly in in my younger life is. It was a few days to sup. They sold a few days to supplement the income, and they never really thought about it from a business perspective, yeah. right? And so you could buy yeah. a bird for twenty four pounds, and that's okay. Um, I mean, and clearly that was the time. It was a time to be alive, but also, I don't know. There you go. I'm gonna make weird noises, but it, 
it's it's it is the sport of the rich and you can do it for cheap still you don't need to go and shoot a 200 bird day that's as simple as that if the birds are 65 pounds a bird that's fair that, that i think that's totally fair looking at this business model because that's what it would need to be for the owner to make a thing i probably am not in a position to shoot more than one day like that a year however you know what i take great joy in going and shooting two birds two birds for a full day of walking mm. with a friend or even and, half a day of walking with a friend and that's fine and that's what i think will happen and and it will move that way and and i think we will be okay with it it just it's a, just a change and people at the end of the day go well why am i having to change or what's going on and that's why we're having this conversation and, i think that's yeah, fine. And you take your joy from your dog or your gun or the exercise or you know what when you have four shots a day you know what you remember Every single mm. opportunity. You know what you make the most of? Every single opportunity. I love woodcock shooting. I love like walking up and trying to hunt down a single or a couple of birds. And you know what it is when you mm. get those opportunities? It is it's no different to deer stalking. When you're actually in that moment of engagement, it means way more than multiple moments of engagement. Mm. Yeah. And I think the future will lie like that, like you say. But at the same time, one shouldn't begrudge those who can afford to continue shooting as many as they want. I don't own a Ferrari. I don't care if someone owns a Ferrari. I'm happy for the person who owns a Ferrari. I want to own a Ferrari. Who doesn't want to own a Ferrari? Yeah, you're absolutely right. And and I think what you the, the real key point, and we 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 say this a lot on the podcast, but actually, you know, the number of birds shot doesn't actually impact the enjoyment of the day. The diminishing returns on shooting pheasants is shoot one and it's great you shoot two that's also great but the second one isn't as great as the first and when you get to 200 on a day then you know that law of diminishing returns is really starting to kick in and you know is a 300 bird day 50 percent more enjoyable than a 200 bird day i don't think it is so evolutionarily speaking yes because you get the same kick every time however is it more memorable maybe not but you still feel good and you still have a good time while shooting a larger day and i know that that's an unpopular opinion but you still in like who doesn't enjoy shooting one or two extra birds like if i was going for a walk up day for two and i shot three or four that's a good thing i'm not going to be like ooh, i don't want to like sit there Wait. speaking down to myself over my pint of post-shoot stella thinking meh yeah, we used to have a question in there about uh, if you if you received an invite for a, I think it was a four hundred bird day, would you accept it? <laughs> and we just put it in there out of like George and I having a giggle, basically. <laughs> Honestly, would depend who it's with. I don't, I don't <laughs> yeah. know. If I... well, of course, of course, but it was more on the principle of, of yeah, principally, of... why not? Like, I, I think from a personal perspective, there are certain shoots that do days like that that I wouldn't go to. Like, I, I am a I was about to say conservationist. I'm not. I like to be associated. <laughs> I like to hold some kind of moral flag. It's nice to be able to be somewhat morally upstanding. And you can't be sat there shooting at certain shoots that do these days that do nothing good for the environment and are potentially not good practice, bluntly, that that perhaps you would go, no, actually, I don't think. Like, yes, on the whole, who isn't going to say yes? But actually, when you sit there and you've shot more than a couple of days in your life and you have the luxury, and it is a luxury of having the opportunity to say no then no yeah and that's happening that change towards an understanding and appreciation for that sort of aspect of shooting is massively happening i thankfully i'd like guns on pegs to have a 
audit of sorts. Wouldn't it be an interesting thing to have a, a scoring system not <laughs> just based on this was a good day or not? Wouldn't that be cool? And I'm not talking BGA, but I'm talking what is the net biodiversity gain here? Give people the option to go <laughs> yes or no. <laughs> George, do you want to answer for um, me? We have been trying to make this happen for... Well, basically, since uh, it, maybe even a since before time. I joined Guns on Pegs, but I definitely like it. It was something that was spoken about in one of the first team meetings I was ever part of, and uh, there is a tool, isn't there? But um, we we worked with the GWCT a bit to, and then they ended up working with Perdix to produce this net biodiversity calculator, and I said to them. If we could put that in, at least, you know, it's it's not vetted as such, but a shoot could do a traffic light-based system over whether they're adding value or not. And we would then, the shoots that detract, what I want to get to the point to, and I still stand by this, the shoots that take away from the environment that are read on that traffic light system, we would just remove from the website, or they wouldn't be able to advertise days to sell. That's where we have to be. Because obviously, if that shoot is totally detracting from the environment, it's a, it's a short term game. You We're don't want to be a part of it. Do you? you don't want to be yeah. a part of it. No, but but it's it's a, it's only going to ruin shooting for the long term. So I quite happily get rid of it. And even if we're making money out of it at the moment, but we don't know. That's the problem. We don't have the data. So we're looking for every tool we can do to achieve this. But sustainability and, and net biodiversity gain is absolutely fundamental before you even start talking about all the other fun stuff. And they're big words, and and they do mean something for sure. And it's. It's a tough one, isn't it? I'd always, I'd be interested to see how that would affect the market. If you could go to X unknown shoot, that's no name, that is yeah, proper chicken farm, the sort of thing that perhaps yeah. everybody knows isn't good, but still somehow manages to sell every single day. Yeah. And go, this is crap. Don't go. This is not the future. I wonder how many people would listen because those who don't care won't care and they'll go anyway, I suppose. But wouldn't it be interesting? We've been been kicking shoots off guns on pegs for years, but we don't shout about it because it's a very dangerous game to play. Mm. And they end up on Facebook groups Mm. selling their days to any Tom, Dick and Harry because there's absolutely nothing on there to stop them doing Yeah, but then as as Johnny Carter punter likes to go shoot and wants to buy a day here and there, how do you then go, I know that I'm doing good thing or bad? Because there's no, there's no trip it. advisor. We need, we need the there is no trip advisor. No, need, you are you're the it. trip advisor. We well we have but we don't have the scientific platform to be able to build this one. The GWCT are very close. We're not far off this. It's coming. Don't Speak worry. to whistle blowing keepers. They're always pretty honest. <laughs> um, yeah, Johnny, I am I, with my you know you and I we're both journalists and uh, with my journalism hat on I'm like yeah hang the fuckers out to dry let's make a big song and dance about it. You can you can handle it in an intelligent fashion or or not. I don't know. Is there a way to handle that in an intelligent fashion? Or go. You can have a list of. We do not recommend these people. Here's the reasons why. And actually, as a community, a bit like the whole raptor persecution thing, hang them out to dry. Like if you get caught doing something that bad, goodbye. You're not allowed in our community. Yeah, so so that's what we do do. But we've had lawyer conversations about trying to take it a stage further, and it's just it makes us. It's very, very tricky, and it would get us wrapped up in all sorts. I'd love to do it for George, as for the same reason you guys would. I, you know, because they're actually affecting what we care about deeply, and so therefore, I'd love to bloody hang them out to dry. But unfortunately, that becomes a personal mission rather but than. But what I do think we can do, and and I, I guess it is to an extent what what we all do already, which is 
you know the kind of place that you were talking about in your your uh, your fictional no name shoot um that shoot has a name has a reputation because of the media because of people talking about it because of people going there and filming or writing about it or whatever like, and it's just as easy to take that that reputation away um yeah. by uh, highlighting bad practice by highlight or by highlighting failure to uh to 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 do good practice um and and it's a question of changing what people value in a shoot and for a very long time what people valued in a shoot has been uh height and High volume birds, good hospitality height volume and hospitality <laughs> not even that just height <laughs> and then a drink and and if we can change the paradigm <sighs> if we can change what are the criteria that people are looking at when they when they uh because it's all about kudos, right? Shooting at those places, it's about waving your dick around and going, "What a big guy I am!" If we can change what look, what cool looks like, then it self polices. Yeah, that's the key. So, interestingly, we are going to be working on a series this season on something that's almost exactly that. I had a really interesting meeting with a really lovely gentleman who wanted to support this as a concept to somehow shift the paradigm from our birds I love a lot to I will shoot three birds and have the best day of my life and that I can boast to my friends and they will appreciate if you look at many other countries in Europe you know what they will go this guy has a fucking amazing dog he's a hell of a hunter and he hunts hard and he shoots three birds a day and that is what I want to be and in England it's a case of oh you you go there that's cool and and marketing marketing is in a whole part got got us in the trouble that we are right because there was a point in in the past where firstly only the super rich shot and secondly they only shot at places that were somewhat morally correct marketing is only the tool that got us there it was human greed that put us there before marketing oh yeah come and on that's something that none of us can regulate would you rather have two points no, but that's what, but, two pints or three that's what i mean everyone's three pints sure 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 but that's why we're in this situation like that is end of story and if you can somehow regulate that to make look at the craft beer movement suddenly four stellas is not as more as morally high as two beautiful cans that you have yeah and that's George's point, I, which is, I think, the only thing we can do, which is culturally try and shift what's cool. That's the only thing we've got going for And us. yet the real issue there becomes the money aspect, right? Because you need to convince people that they want to pay £400 a day to kill two birds. Yeah, and you can't turn up shooting three birds on a four. Let's say this guy's going on a 300-bird day or whatever, and he just shoots his chosen three. The keeper, as it currently stands, is going to be hopping mad. <laughs> so, and so yeah. the whole thing's got to go with it. <laughs> I see you speak. Uh, I'm fortunate enough to, to speak to keepers and film with keepers with our work with the National Game Keepers Organization. I think most of them, the majority, the vast majority, would be happier with this world where they could be a more traditional gamekeeper and prov- not the glamour of a shoot day may change but it doesn't have to change you can still have a beautiful lunch after shooting six birds yeah that's cool i mean cassandra let's move back to cassandra thanks for getting us in this pickle (laughs) yes we could have spoken about something really simple like is it unfashionable to wear 
Pink tweed. <laughs> Answer: No, do it. Yeah, I mean, Cassandra has 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 opened a a serious can of worms, and actually, for the first time ever in the history of this podcast, we should have ha- called her Pandora, shouldn't you? <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. Do you want to know who Cassandra was? Please go on. She she was a Trojan princess, priestess rather, who was dedicated to the god Apollo. And he fated her to utter true prophecies that would never be believed. You are, you are a clever man. No, you really are. That's very nice. That is, um, these, days, these days, though, you don't know whether AI is stacking up for people. Are you accusing George of using chat GPT now that to choose names? It's a resignation <laughs> type accusation. <laughs> I'm not having that. I knew that. I knew that. Man's I never read a book, blood. <laughs> I knew he'd hate that so much. I had to say it. Anyway, um, nice choice of name, um, George. Going back to Cassandra, the appetite for price will change. Every market shifts. That's just the way it is, right? Stella used to be reasonably priced. It's now seven pounds for four pint cans. Used to be a pound a pint in a can or even at Weatherspoons. You know what? You can choose to drink Chateau Moussard or you can choose to drink Stella. And both are fantastic. And they still get you get together with your mates having a laugh, which is the point. That is exactly where I was going. And as we've said before, the end result is the same. (laughs) It just, it's obviously from an outside perspective, be that through your peer group in real life or your peer group on the internet, it takes a brave man to break the mold, right? And and all of us, and I think we, uh, you know, here's an openness and honesty moment, we all work in this industry and we can't entirely afford to upset people. And it is an upsetting statement to say what we've said and to come out in a more public platform than let's say this if you if we were all to go out and said what we've just said in a vast statement on facebook instagram something that's publicly shareable not that this podcast not but someone will have had to have listened to an hour of us <laughs> twittering and going on and laughing like children so it's like hidden almost <laughs> it is this is a little bit like deep but if you were to say this in a public platform, I can guarantee you there are two or three very big, powerful names who would come out in hatred of you. I know for a fact that, that the only reason we're going to make this series this season is because I've spoken to our sponsors about various things. And most of them seem pretty happy with with that as a, a future, providing we do it in a tasteful fashion. And if you mm. guys were to come out across your various iTap platforms and say this, there are there will be objection. And you yeah. can't I mean you can shift no culture quickly, right? That's also true. You can't be going out and being like, all right, we're not doing this anymore. Uh, of course, but pe- people already hate you know, people already get angry when I say um I think we should be moving to steel. You know, there's lots of people that don't agree with that. So it's but fine. It's a funny old world, isn't it? Can I mean, we please not without open sounding the steel silly. versus lead thing? We haven't got no, 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 definitely no, not. No, we're, we're absolutely not. We're absolutely not going there. George, uh, my numbers man, what is the average age of a game shooter according to your census? Oh, uh, 61 this year. I mean, I know some 61-year-olds. You know what? They're not They're not as liberal as 31-year-olds. Yeah. And you know what? They won't suffer the fate that they make for the 31-year-olds. Yeah. There is true. some beauty in young liberalism, and I know that there is going to be perhaps objection to that. But, you know, we're here. I mean, I was clearly not invited on here to have this serious conversation i do apologize but uh, (laughs) 
I care about what I can do for the future. And I care deeply about what my son gets to do in the future. And daughters, I care what they get yeah. to do. But my son's the oldest and, you know, as such, you know, it's my priority. Um, <laughs> well, I do hope my wife doesn't listen to this. <laughs> I'm going to be in more trouble for that than anything else I've said. Uh, but uh, genuinely, if we carry on as we are, and I've had this conversation with some relatively high up people in organizations who aren't allowed to have these opinions. If we carry on as we are, that's not a good thing. We need to yeah. change somehow because if you don't have social license, it's a, there's a buzzword, you ain't got nothing. Mm. I'm I'm pleased that pleased that social license is now buzzword because it's everything. It it is right because I'm fortunate enough to be able to post pictures as I do, and people know vaguely who I am. And if not, they've got a, an entire back catalogue of who I am and my opinions, and that's cool. But look, I, I don't know. But what I do know is that it's the pub test. Here you go, the pub test. If you walked into not your local pub, let's go to any pub in the world, and someone says, what have you been doing today wearing tweed? And I'm not talking about going out in North Yorkshire or the Chalk Valley or somewhere where this is religion. I'm talking about going yeah. out in downtown Guildford and a, and a bit of a, a crap pub on a football night, right? right? So people like me are there. Normal <laughs> fucking people are there, sat there drinking, is there any way that you could sell them the concept of what you've been doing today? And and that goes for anything. It doesn't have to be just shooting. It could be anything that you do it requires. It's the, it's the motorway services test. Are you comfortable going into the motorway services in your tweed? I mean, yeah, but motorway services is a, is a melting pot of society. You want to be able to go to an, a normal person who <laughs> isn't part of our society and got a normal pub in Guildford yeah you're paying 10 pounds a pint a, a normal pub in Swindon there you go you're into a normal pub in Swindon in your stab proof vest and are you going to be able to go yeah I fucked up 40 birds today son and they'll go that sounds cool no they're not no one no no one in the world is going to go that's acceptable but if you said I shot this many I went out with my friends we worked my dog and everybody can get behind the reason that deer stalking is so popular as a thing and it's a hugely growing sport and it's so easy to sell to anyone is people firstly uh, they say that venison is a delicious meat which it is it's very easy to cook it's very relatable everyone likes a venison sausage they like a venison burger venison's a great meat hmm but they also have been told by the media that that's an acceptable thing. And secondly, they get man versus beast, hard work. And, and perhaps there is a element of the pomp that I know that you guys enjoy as much as I do. I love getting dressed up in my tweed. I love drinking a bit of port and having a great time. Maybe there's an element of that that it's okay that most people find that unpalatable. And I'm not against changing some of that to be more palatable for the world, for the future of what we do. Or is that dumb? I don't think it is dumb. I think you're absolutely right. It's about social license and it's about and, and you're right about the hard work element of of deer stalking. And I think there is a, a that you know that it's very easy to frame driven shooting in particular as a bunch of fat old plutocrats in tweed blasting pheasants out of the sky and you know we know that the reality of most shooting isn't that but it's a very easy picture to paint. Um, and the, yeah, the reality of shooting is mostly that. Surely, the reality of shooting is mostly that. Come on, it is. It, no, no, it's not. 
No, uh, no, I don't. Are you saying the reality of shooting isn't? No, I mean, not fat. Mostly, he's not. Not most. Old, <laughs> yeah, I wasn't talking about size old, and waist size. Old that's Tory just... blokes shooting pheasants. That that sh- uh, come on. Uh, okay, that that's slightly simplified. Uh, it was slightly more extreme the way that George put it. Right. Old fat plutocrats. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, sa- I'm saying the reality is probably a lot more, uh, a lot more the other way than most would think. The data tells us that anyway. I've got a new question for next year's census, though, which is: What is your waist size? Are you a fa- <laughs> are you a fat old plutocrat? Yay or nay? <laughs> yes or no? <laughs> waist size. Who did you vote for at the last election? And something else. Well, I mean, guys, we right. could we could really talk about this till the cows come home. But I think um, let's we, move on. We, well, I think we've got to wrap up. Really. Um, we we had a load of other stuff that we were going to talk to you about. We'll just have to get you on. I've got one question for Johnny, Go which on, we then. need to do. So, I yeah, well, just Deb, you you wrap up this segment because we also must just mention the yes. shoot day. Well, you do that. You mention it. Okay, so we mentioned it last episode. It's coming up now, pretty close on the basis that this goes out the twelfth of September. Uh, Brimsfield Park in Gloucestershire, twentieth of October. Five hundred pounds a gun. We've done it for. Cheapest way we could do it, Johnny. 20 pegs sharing, loading for one another, basically getting a really good crowd of, of podcast listeners together. You have to be a member of the Most Noble Order of the Garter. So you have to have had your correspondence read out. There are a lot of you in that category now uh, since we started. Um, so on a first come, first serve basis. Uh, and um, obviously, if you're not and you really, really want to come, You'll be at the back of the queue, but message us anyway, because uh, we're not sure about exactly how many. We've only just mentioned this, so how many would will, will come in? Um, but uh, give us a nice sort of reason as to why you deserve a pair of garters as well. That'd be fun. Um, so massive shout out to Ben Hughes, who runs Brimsfield Park Shoot, for helping to organise this, and Jake Wolf for organising. Um, so really looking forward to this day. Going to be a mega get-together, like we did for the first time around uh, last year, or whenever it was. That is an um, epic thing. Well done. Uh, that's that's good stuff. And the good news is, Johnny, that but by dint of being a guest on the podcast, you are now a member of the Most Noble Order of the Garters, as are Clifford, Tristan, Cassandra, all new members of the Most Noble Order of the, Order of the Garters, and will all shortly be in receipt of a set of the highly coveted Guns on Pegs podcast shooting sock garters. Um, if you have got a shooting confession, quandary or query that you would like us and our guests to help you with, if you've got an unpopular opinion that you'd like to share with us and have us debate at length, uh, or if you have a forgotten drive that you want to tell us about, drop us an email to pod at gunsonpegs.com. So that's really good because we've only got four sets of garters left in the current batch. And I've just had an email from Garter Production HQ that say that uh, they've discontinued the violet yarn that is in our garish garters, but they've replaced it with a lavender, so we're okay. (laughs) Oh, the travesty. (laughs) Talk about second-class citizenship. That is a first-world problem. problem. (laughs) Well, Johnny, you you are going to have the last set of the violet and pink and oatmeal garters that we have and the next people will have lavender. As a long-time listener, I am genuinely... I never thought I'd make it. I thought about writing in many times, but most of my opinions were unpopular, and I didn't want to write them in. I thought that would be maybe a step too far. But luckily, I've got to field a few of them myself in person. <laughs> Thank you. I'm genuinely honoured. 
I will wear them with pride. Right. We got Desert Island shooting in just a moment, but I want one question, bit of a quiz. Um, for, caveat, first question. I think you did something on this on YouTube recently. Are side-by-sides more popular now than they were 10 years ago? Yes or no? Yes, correct. A man who knows, George. Yeah, yes, no, no doubt, no doubt whatsoever. We're lucky enough to work, certainly from our stats and working with Holtz Auctioneers, fantastic gun auctioneers <laughs> and sponsor of TGS. They are, um, I, their figures are through the roof. They used to be sort of 20% retail, 80% trade. More people are buying them than ever before. And luckily, I see guns as a global thing. Our American brothers are doing a fantastic job with actually pushing us in that direction they're bolstering the market and actually causing us to be not concerned but mildly mildly excited about owning a side-by-side because the prices are going up and prices going up is good for a market including pheasants (laughs) (laughs) i'm just leaving that one there i'm not even going to respond just just quiet tumbleweed right uh second question um george Okay, so Johnny, you are uh, a renowned expert in shotguns. Can you name the five most popular gun brands, what people are using for their game guns? Not what people want, what they're actually using. In order. A, a spare garter, if you get it in oh, order. Oh, and a spare garter is actually <laughs> massively good. How many single garters do you guys own? I have a drawer full of the bastards. <laughs> exactly as many as single socks. Actually, you can have the test of the violet garter that I get a single garter in the post tomorrow. I get a, so you... a lot of trouble at home for wearing odd socks. It's not something that ever bothered me wearing matching socks. So wearing slightly odd garters will bring me more joy than you could ever imagine. <laughs> All right, so here goes. I mean, Beretta's got to be the number one. I would be shocked if it wasn't. I would say that the census is wrong. Okay, correct. Number two, got to be Browning. They're always second fiddle to Beretta on most things. Not by far, but they are. And it's regionally specific shotguns, of course, like very regionally specific gun sales. But Browning's got to be number yeah. two. Yeah, correct. The rest of the three? I mean, hell. Game, shoot, game <laughs> shooters use three different types of shotgun. Three different types of shotguns. It would surprise me if AYA wasn't in there somewhere. I don't know where. Are you gonna Are you gonna go for next or? And, uh, I would say AYA is going to be number four. <sighs> oh, well, that's depressing, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> go on. Who else are you going for? In terms of popularity, just thinking about what I've actually seen in reality in the field, Parazzi probably deserve a spot up there. Parazzi are a hugely popular game gun. Rizzini are a hugely popular game gun, as is Garini. But Garini are now way more in the clay shooting market than they've ever been in the game market. In the click game market, yeah. so that's, that's you're missing tough. a big one. So AYA and Parazzi are in there. I'm going to ask you for an order in a minute. There is one other which I'm expecting you to get in the next five seconds. Yeah, it's not Kriegoff. Kriegoff ain't that popular, surely. No. no, you're going to kick yourself now. I'm going to kick myself. Got Maruku. Are there a browning? It's a browning! It's a bloody browning! (laughs) It's made in the same factory, for goodness sake. You can't be classing them as different. We just I filmed a review today on on the uh, browning 525 Satori, and the whole pretext was everything I say now applies to Maruku because they're the same. (laughs) They're the same. (laughs) And I'm sure the guys in Japan will be saying no, but they also make all the brownings, and as such, they're the same. What defines a brand, Johnny? The logo and the name. <laughs> <laughs> we asked, what's the most popular gun brands? Uh, you could ask, you say the same thing about many cars on the road as well. 
but um, people still call them brands. I can't anyway, believe it. So, I, I shot a Maruka for so many years. I still have it. It's still <laughs> one of my favorite guns. I feel like such a mug. But it, it's a browning. It's definitely a browning. If you include bra- Here's an interesting question from the statisticians. Maruka and browning together, do they then beat Beretta? No. No, nowhere. So, George, Right, go. so we've got Beretta on 30%. Browning on 16%. Uh, wow. AYA in third place on rounding up to 8%. Uh, Moroku on 5% and Parazzi on 2%. I mean, I'm I'm happy enough. Other than that Moroku thing, what an idiot. I should have got that one pretty quick. So just quickly, my maths, I, I, this is off the top of my head. I think the market share Browning, AYA, Maruku and Parazzi put together equals Beretta. Uh, I, not quite. Wow. But yeah, close I mean, enough. Basically. Yes, quite. Yeah, basically. I was lucky enough to go to the Beretta factory last year and this year for two separate things. That video will probably be out by the time this podcast is out. If you haven't watched it, check it out. I mean, those boys... And girls and people. Oh, Beretta. Oh, wow. I mean, I was always a bit of a Beretta skeptic, right? I didn't want to be that guy. They're just vanilla. Everyone owns one, including some of my best friends. But they, there is no, that, what an amazing brand. They deserve 30%. So, Desert Island shooting, one last day. Where would it be? Who would you have with you? And what gun would you take? So you said the laws of physics don't apply, and so I'm going to say that I'd take six people with me, but they'd have the personality of about 24. (laughs) (laughs) I I love the intimacy of small groups. I think that's something that I thrive in way more than big groups. I don't particularly enjoy large social gatherings. I find them quite difficult. But So let's say there's six people, but I can then invite 24 for... Yeah, you know, because actually yeah. I have way more than six friends. Just. They can swap in and out. Yeah, but that would be sad because I wouldn't want them to miss out. So I would like some kind of weird blending thing to go on, some splicing. <laughs> <laughs> so I'd have 24 people blended into six. And yeah. uh, we'd probably, and I really struggle with this, by the way. I've listened to your podcast for years now, and I've thought about this at length. I don't think it would be a particularly gluttonous day. Me and my six friends... <laughs> my my friends with multiple personality disorders we'd go out and shoot some quail in the morning that is some of the most fun i've ever had we go shoot walked up quail and we changed the dog handler as regularly as humanly possible because watching those dogs work was is something that if you've never experienced is above and beyond the enjoyment of driven game shooting for me like the just the amount of things going on kept you so engaged throughout the morning and the beauty of quail shooting is you can do it in like a morning which is quite cool I'd then magically be back in the UK and I'd go and shoot a drive called Yalecombe Hill down in Dorset. It's a big rough banking, two walking guns, four standing guns. There's seven of us, so there's a spare somewhere. And uh, the two walking guns walk with the beaters and you'd shoot a handful of woodcock, a handful of pheasants, a couple of partridge. And then I'd go to the pub. For a good session. And I, I, a good few hours of talking shite. And I would enjoy that endlessly more, I think. Because I obviously think everyone's mind must glow to, I want to shoot this drive and that drive and this shoot and so on and so forth. And actually, I think that a good mixture of friends and a handful of birds, and I genuinely think this is worth more than anything else. Couldn't agree more. Absolutely. Yep. Agree. And But what I love is the pub chat is going to be great because the variation you've had in there is quite fun. This is it. And you've got 
every aspect to talk about, whether it was the fact you slipped down the hill at the end or or the dogs at the beginning and how different they were. And there's just endless facets to that that you can really indulge in rather than, did you see that bird I killed? Who cares? Oh, no one cares. So you missed the final bit of the question, which gun are you going to have? The same gun for all of this. I hate you. Money, money's, <laughs> no, money's no object. That question, Go that on. question wasn't in the email. <laughs> <laughs> a... Cosme 28 gauge. Wowzers. A break open, bespoke, handmade 28 gauge shotgun that's also semi automatic and seven shot. So I'd have to have it legally restricted <laughs> to two plus one for this to be a reality. But you said the laws of physics and the laws of man don't apply. It's, yeah, it's fine. That, and that would be it. Like, it is. I was lucky enough to shoot a 410 one at some chucka in Italy and that set me on fire. But a 410's a bit. Um, bit wanky like it's not got enough like power i want more power and a 28 gauge 23 24 gram cartridge boom job done it's quite a lot for a 28 bore isn't it yeah. you can get ounce loads nice. from winchester that are violent <laughs> but a 20 a <laughs> okay, 23 so gram whole high pheasant three inch obviously oh so you can Must get three in no 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 two and three quarter you can get three inch really? tungsten beasts from federal i've never shot them i don't really wish to but a that, that would do me Nice. 23 grams of five. Very good. It's just, I'm a simple man. A few Stellas, maybe five or six. And a chauffeur. <laughs> I think we can we can stretch to that. Thanks, mate. Before we wrap up, and you may have covered this before, but if you have a, like in any way changed your mind, so why are your desert island shootings? Like That would be fascinating. You guys have heard dozens of desert islands. I need George to I need George to send me an email and give me time to prep, Johnny. So. <laughs> no, you can't have that. Right. And the gun. Yeah, what is it? I would, is it the gun? We have been asked before. Um, we were asked at one of our live ones that we've done. Um, and my answer then, and I think it probably is the same now, is I'd like to go and shoot partridges in Spain. You know, classic partridge, Spanish partridge style, you know, fast and furious rather than them trying to do English style partridges. Um, there is, you know. Big lunch, of course. Yeah, exactly. Big lunch in the field, bit of Rioja that kind of thing but you know we had we had george ponsonby on uh, who runs this amazing sounding gray partridge shoot and you know if a, a day on gray partridge which i've never had the opportunity to do um i think i'd with all your mates that, that would be that great like, to shoot yeah. gray partridges here on the farm at home would be <laughs> yeah that'd be amazing how many gray partridge would make you happy one two <laughs> No, you want and all your mates to have some shooting. If we had a day of the same size as we do at home at the minute, which is bet- anything between you know thirty-five and seventy, um, and to have a day like that here at, on the farm would be amazing. Yeah, I would love that. Would you be happy with a brace? I'd be very happy with a brace. I I, I stick with my earlier comment. I wouldn't be because a lot of them wouldn't have seen anything. Your mates wouldn't have had a, had any shooting. I mean, I'm talking each. A brace each. Come on. A brace each. Oh, yeah. yeah. Come on. Yeah. A uh, brace each. Uh, yeah, probably. A brace. No, you want everyone to come home with this, the feeling of yeah, success. Yeah, that, that's the key. Nobody wants to come yeah, home empty handed. That's. It's not a bad hunt if that's the case, but it's a much nicer yeah. one if everyone feels success. I mean, if if you had no grey partridge on your farm and then you had a day when you had all your mates and they each shot a brace, I think more than happy. <laughs> I think there's, there's words that don't even describe how happy you'd be. <laughs> so, yeah, very happy with that. <laughs> 
and that is it for you as well, mate, yeah? No, no. <laughs> oh, you were asking what mine yeah. was. I think I answered West, West Coast of Scotland because I love the trip element. I love the, the a bit of travel, a bit of getting away from home, feeling like you're far removed, complete change of pace, change of atmosphere, scenery, all the rest of it. Um, to be honest, that could apply really anywhere. But I think staying in the UK. Uh, and, West Coast of Scotland yeah. is in the UK, which is good. Yeah, as in rather than going yeah. to Spain, like George was saying. <laughs> I, did, I didn't need checking that the West Coast of Scotland was in the Currently. UK. Currently. They haven't left us yet. <laughs> this is true. Um, and yeah, good group of mates. But then the, the key for me is the multiple nights. So uh, some a rough day, uh, some flighting, a bit of a driven day, That that the multiple nights. So you can have multiples of your stellar sessions with your friends. That's the key for me. I remember your answer now. I don't remember George's and I do apologise, George. That's all right. I'm, I'm unmemorable in many ways. <laughs> you only remember mine because it's just more drink and that's what you wanted. <laughs> Chat GPT is, remembers you all the time because yeah. you're such a keen user. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> what is my desert island shooting? It's Chat GPT. See what it says. Cool. Right. On that note. Well, Johnny, yeah, it has been absolutely fantastic. It is the first time we've not done the, in inverted commas, interview section, but I don't think it is anything less for it. In fact, possibly even better without it. Um, It's been fantastic. Thank you so much for joining us. Mate, it's been my honour to be a part of this and to uh, get to discuss some deep stuff with you guys in a public forum. That's cool. Thank you for joining us, Johnny. Great fun. Right, as per usual, there is one final reminder that you can get your hands on a pair of the very exclusive Guns on Pegs podcast shooting sock garters by sending us your shooting dilemmas for us to resolve or by sending us your unpopular opinions or sharing your forgotten drives. Drop us an email to pod at gunsonpegs.com and if we read it out in the next episode, we will send you some garters. If you have already got your garters, don't forget that our shoot day is taking place on the 20th of October. If you'd like to be there, again, drop us an email to pod at gunsonpegs.com. We will be back in a couple of weeks' time. It might be Chris, it might not, depends on the baby. But until then, thanks very much for listening, and goodbye. If I'd had a bottle of red wine, I uh, I would be like, yeah, let's let's fuck up a thousand birds, babe. That'd be great. <laughs> You're lucky I haven't stopped recording. <laughs> I mean, if you don't use that as the intro clip, you get clicks. I will be really depressed on you. <laughs>